0: Section 129, Introduction There was a period of rich doctrinal development in the Church during 1842 and 1843. This was also the period when Joseph had escaped to Illinois, but strenuous efforts were being made to capture him and carry him back to Missouri for trial and possible execution. Meanwhile, exciting treasures were being added to the doctrines and organizational structure of the church. For example, the book of Abraham had been translated and would be eventually combined with the book of Moses and the early history of Joseph Smith to comprise the Pearl of Great Price. Furthermore, Joseph had written his famous Wentworth letter containing the articles of faith and a brief history of the church. Also on March the 4th, 1842, Joseph Smith consecrated the upper story of his brick store and introduced nine leaders of the church into the sacred ordinances of the temple endowment. The Nauvoo Temple was only half finished and would not be completed until four more years, which would be after the martyrdom of Joseph Smith. The prophet, therefore, felt it was essential to have these sacred temple rites inaugurated immediately, lest his enemies succeed in killing him before he had finished his work. On March 17, 1842, Joseph Smith organized the Female Relief Society of Nauvoo, with Emma Smith as the first president. This has now become the largest women's organization in the world. On August the 6th, 1842, Joseph Smith prophesied something amazing. He said that the saints would eventually be driven out of Illinois and finally become established in the tops of the Rocky Mountains. On this same date, he revealed that he would not be allowed to go with them, but the church leaders did not comprehend the foreboding implications of this prophecy. Now we come to section 129, which was revealed on February 9, 1843.
1: There are two kinds of beings in heaven, namely, angels, who are resurrected personages having bodies of flesh and bones. For instance, Jesus said, Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. It was
0: traditional with the various churches to assume that only spirits exist in heaven. Joseph emphasized that there are also resurrected beings
1: there. Secondly, the spirits of just men made perfect. They who are not resurrected but inherit the same glory.
0: Among the spirits there are extremely righteous ones, who are special messengers of God and are referred to as the, quote, spirits of just men made perfect, unquote. These are spoken of by Paul in Hebrews 12 and 23. They are also mentioned by the Lord in section 76, verse 69. The Lord wants us to know that these spirits of just men made perfect are not yet resurrected, yet inherit the same glory in the spirit
1: world as those who are. When a messenger comes saying he has a message from God, offer him your hand and request him to shake hands with you. If he be an angel, he will do so and you will feel his hand. Joseph now indicates that if a messenger comes
0: from God who is a spirit of a just man made perfect, he can only make his presence known by appearing in glory. However, Satan can also appear in glory as, quote, an angel of light, unquote. And when he tried to deceive Joseph Smith, the Lord had to send Michael or Adam to rebuke Satan and reveal to Joseph who this angel of light actually was. It was Satan. And that's described in Doctrine and Covenants, section 128,
1: verse 20. If he be the spirit of a just man made perfect, he will come in his glory, for that is the only way he can appear. Ask him to shake hands with you, but he will not move, because it is contrary to the order of heaven for a just man to deceive, but he will still deliver his message. The prophet then gives a procedure by
0: which a true messenger from God can be identified.
1: If it be the devil as an angel of light, when you ask him to shake hands, he will offer you his hand, and you will not feel anything. You may therefore detect him. Joseph then describes how an evil spirit who comes
0: as an angel of light can be identified. By offering to shake hands, he will endeavor to deceive mortal man by extending his hand, but the hand of an evil spirit, in fact, any spirit cannot be felt.
1: These are three grand keys, whereby you may know whether any administration is from God. The Revelation refers to this section as setting forth three
0: grand keys so a person can detect an evil spirit who tries to pretend he has come as a messenger from God. Section 130, Introduction On April 2, 1843, Joseph Smith attended a meeting at which Orson Hyde gave a talk. Later, at the dinner table, Joseph said he would like to suggest a number of corrections that Orson Hyde could use in his future talks. The reason we have the benefit of Joseph's comments on that occasion, and now have them in Section 130 of the Doctrine and Covenants, is because Wilfred Woodruff, as well as several of the other brethren, made it a point to carefully record any comments made by Joseph Smith while he was under the inspiration of the Spirit. The notes of these apostles became especially precious after the martyrdom of Joseph and Hiram. In fact, as the members of the church gained a deeper comprehension of the gospel, many of the prophets' more obscure comments took on a deeper meaning and a much more profound significance. Because section 130 comprises a series of these notes, they are not in continuity— but are presented just as Joseph stated them when he was asked questions or wanted to make a comment. So here
1: is section 130. When the Savior shall appear, we shall see him as he is. We shall see that he is a man like ourselves. The creeds of many churches
0: differ concerning the nature of Jesus Christ. And many denied that the Savior was separate from the Father. In this verse we have the correct doctrine. Jesus is a distinct personality and a private individual. Therefore, when he appears in glory at the time of the second coming, we shall see him as he really is, a glorious individual, separate from the other two members of the Godhead.
1: And that same sociality which exists among us here will exist among us there, only it will be coupled with eternal glory, which glory we do not now enjoy. Here is a declaration that heavenly beings,
0: whether in their spirit or resurrected state, are socially engaged just as they are here on earth, and they don't sit permanently on thrones playing harps, but are gregariously associated one with another." They visit together, rejoice together, converse together, and carry on a variety of activities with one another. In John 14 and 23, Jesus says, If a man loves me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Now, should this be
1: taken symbolically or literally? John 14th chapter 23rd verse. The appearing of the Father and the Son in that verse is a personal appearance, and the idea that the Father and the Son dwell in a man's heart is an old sectarian notion and is false. Joseph states that this verse is to be taken literally.
0: He says that it was an old sectarian belief that this merely meant that the Father and Son would dwell in a man's heart. However, the prophet said Jesus meant that the Father and the Son would actually appear unto certain
1: of the disciples. In answer to the question, is not the reckoning of God's time, angel's time, prophet's time, and man's time, according to the planet on which they reside? I answer, yes. But there are no angels who minister to this earth, but those who do belong or have belonged to it. Joseph
0: says that the reckoning of time for God, angels, and prophets, or even man's time, is according to the size of the planet on which they reside. That is why Jesus would say that his second coming was very soon according to his time quotient on the Father's glorified planet near Kolob whereas his coming in terms of time on earth is
1: extended and prolonged. The angels do not reside on a planet like this earth. Angels are resurrected beings,
0: and the place where they dwell is on the Father's glorious planetary home near Kolob. God's residence is such that a day on his planet is as a thousand years according to the time here on earth.
1: But they reside in the presence of god on a globe like a sea of glass and fire where all things for their glory are manifest past present and future and are continually before the lord the place where god resides is a great urim and Thummim,
0: because angels are resurrected beings they reside in the presence of god and he resides on a glorious transparent planet that is like a sea of glass. However, it is a planet encompassed by eternal burnings. This glorified planet is like a huge Urim and Thummim. As a matter of fact, by this means all things are continually before
1: the Lord. This earth, in its sanctified and immortal state, will be made like unto crystal, and will be a Urim and Thummim to the inhabitants who dwell thereon whereby all things pertaining to an inferior kingdom or all kingdoms of a lower order will be manifest to those who dwell on it, and this earth will be Christ's. When the
0: earth is sanctified, it will be a miniature replica of our Father's residence. It will also be like a crystal and will be a Urim and Thummim to reveal
1: all things of a lower order, and the earth will belong to the Saviour. Then the white stone mentioned in Revelation, 2nd chapter, 17th verse, will become a Urim and Thummim to each individual who receives one, whereby things pertaining to a higher order of kingdoms will be made known. Now we come to a most interesting passage. It
0: says that the saint will each receive a white stone, and it will reveal things about higher kingdoms, The most amazing thing about this white stone
1: is that it will present before us a panorama of all kingdoms. And a white stone is given to each of those who come into the celestial kingdom, whereon is a new name written, which no man knoweth, save he that receiveth it. The new name is the key word. It will be a wonderful privilege to receive one of the white
0: stones, because they are only given to those who inherit the celestial kingdom. On this stone, each person will find the new name recorded, and Joseph said the new name is the key to learning about many treasures which await us in the celestial world.
1: I prophesy in the name of the Lord God that the commencement of the difficulties, which will cause much bloodshed previous to the coming of the Son of Man, will be in South Carolina. In this verse,
0: we have one of Joseph's most famous prophecies. It is an affirmation of a prophecy the prophet received on Christmas Day, 1832, indicating that a series of terrible wars must precede the second coming, and they will cause much bloodshed, and they will begin in South Carolina.
1: It may probably arise through the slave question. This a voice declared to me while I was praying earnestly on the subject, December 25, 1832.
0: Here he says it will probably arise through the slave question. Actually, 11 states seceded from the Union for fear Lincoln would outlaw slavery. However, Lincoln thought they could work out the slavery question peacefully if they remained united. And that is why he made the famous statement, quote, we will have union with or without slavery, unquote. Slavery divided the country, but the
1: Civil War was fought to preserve the Union. I was once praying very earnestly to know the time of the coming of the Son of Man. When I heard a voice repeat the following, Joseph Smith felt a deep anxiety concerning the
0: time of the second coming of the Son of Man. This question was extremely important because Joseph Smith found himself constantly threatened with death. He had been promised that he would, quote, see, unquote, the second coming, but the patriarch did not say whether it would be in this life or the life to come. Joseph was never given a direct answer. Nevertheless, the Lord told
1: him, Joseph, my son, if thou livest until thou art 85 years old, thou shalt see the face of the Son of Man. Therefore let this suffice, and trouble me no more on this matter. Joseph was gently chided for pressing the Lord to give an answer to a
0: question which the Lord was not yet ready to disclose. This is why the Lord chided the prophet just a little and said, trouble me no more on this
1: matter, unquote. I was left thus without being able to decide whether this coming referred to the beginning of the millennium, or to some previous appearing, or whether I should die and thus see his face. I believe the coming of the Son of Man will not be any sooner than that time.
0: Joseph decided that the Lord had left him with two possible options, just as he does with all those who receive patriarchal blessings and are told that they will, quote, see the coming of the Lord, unquote but they don't know whether it will be in this life or after they are resurrected. In either case, their patriarchal blessings will be literally fulfilled. In verse 17, Joseph said that as a result of this revelation, he didn't believe the second coming would come before
1: his 85th birthday. Whatever principle of intelligence we attain unto in this life, it will rise with us in the resurrection.
0: Now, the prophet had a warm commendation for the diligent student of both the gospel and the practical aspects of
1: life. He said, And if a person gains more knowledge and intelligence in this life through his diligence and obedience than another, he will have so much the advantage in the world to come. Eternal progression
0: is a learning process, and those who earnestly seek to comprehend the truth, in many areas, will have that much more advantage in the next life. And now the Lord lays down an eternal principle which prevails
1: in both this life and in the next. He said, There is a law irrevocably decreed in heaven before the foundations of this world upon which all blessings are predicated. And when we obtain any blessing from God, It is by obedience to that law upon which it is predicated. It doesn't matter whether it
0: is tithing, honesty, charity, chastity, or any of the commandments. They have all their irrevocable blessing which accompanies them. Now this section concludes with two completely different subjects as Joseph
1: says. The father has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's. The son also but the Holy Ghost has not a body of flesh and bones, but is a personage of spirit. Were it not so, the Holy Ghost could not dwell in us. In all scripture there is no better description of the Godhead than this verse. Then Joseph says, A man may receive the Holy Ghost, and it may descend upon him, and not tarry with him. For example, this explains why the three witnesses
0: could be endowed with the Spirit sufficiently to select the first quorum of the twelve, and yet afterwards lose that Spirit and leave the church. There are many examples in church history where this same phenomenon occurs. It was usually when certain men rose to high stations and then let pride overtake them so that the Spirit departed from them and they lost their calling. Section 131, Introduction This is the second section to present a series of gospel gems which were copied down by the apostles while the prophet Joseph was under the influence of the Spirit. These choice gospel truths were given under the following circumstances. On the 16th of May, 1843, a small group consisting of Joseph Smith. George Miller, William Clayton, Elias and Lydia Partridge, and J.M. South went to the town of Ramus, Illinois. This town was located about 22 miles southeast of Nauvoo. The prophet enjoyed visiting with the saints in this settlement and presented a number of his most powerful sermons in this region. The prophet and William Clayton stayed at the home of Benjamin F. Johnson, Before retiring, the little party of friends engaged in a discussion on a number of spiritual topics. The apostles carefully copied down the following.
1: Now we come to the text of section 131. In the celestial glory, there are three heavens or degrees.
0: It came as a great surprise to learn that in the celestial kingdom there are three degrees of glory. No doubt they had been surprised when Joseph received section 76, which disclosed the fact that the heavens are divided into three kingdoms and that God, like the Father, is only available to those who attain the highest glory, the celestial kingdom. Now they are told
1: that this higher kingdom also has three degrees of glory. And in order to obtain the highest, a man must enter into this order of the priesthood meaning the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. In this verse, we learn that
0: a person must enter into the everlasting covenant of marriage in order to qualify for the highest degree of the celestial kingdom. This means marriage for time and eternity.
1: And if he does not, he cannot obtain it. He may enter into the other, but that is the end of his kingdom. He cannot have an increase. These two verses certify that
0: in order to become like our heavenly parents, we must have the capacity to be celestial parents ourselves. We must gain the ability to beget spirit children. Unless we qualify for celestial parenthood, we cannot obtain the highest degree of glory in the celestial kingdom.
1: May 17, 1843 The More Sure Word of Prophecy means a man's knowing that he is sealed up unto eternal life by revelation and the spirit of prophecy through the power of the holy priesthood.
0: The contents of this verse were recorded the following day, which was May the 17th, 1843. The brethren asked Joseph to explain several passages in the first chapter of Second Peter. In this chapter, Peter described all the qualities of a devoted disciple of Christ who can qualify to dwell with Jesus in the celestial kingdom. And that's in 2 Peter, 1st chapter, verses 4 to 9. And then Peter says, quote, Make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, ye shall never fall, unquote. That's taken from verse 10. In other words, your salvation is assured. Finally, in the 19th verse, he says, You can know if you have been sealed up into salvation through, quote, the more sure word of prophecy, unquote. Joseph summarized the meaning of Peter's statement by saying that the more sure word of prophecy simply means that a disciple, while still in mortality, has been assured by direct revelation from God that he or she is already sealed up unto eternal life and this has been revealed to the spirit of prophecy by the power of the holy priesthood. It will be observed that this special blessing requires three things. First, the inspiration of a high official in the priesthood affirming that a person is worthy of this blessing. Second, a special anointing in the temple pronouncing this blessing, and finally the promise of the priesthood authority that the disciple is sealed up unto salvation.
1: It is impossible for a man to be saved in ignorance.
0: We only progress in the kingdom of God as we learn the laws of God and practice them, The whole purpose of the school of the prophets was to keep priesthood holders to pursue the plan of eternal progression by continually learning.
1: There is no such thing as immaterial matter. All spirit is matter, but it is more fine or pure, and can only be discerned by purer eyes. We cannot see it, but when our bodies are purified we shall see that it is all matter.
0: When the gospel was first restored, it was popular to think of, quote, spirit, unquote, as being immaterial. Joseph corrected this religious error. Spirit is a tangible substance, but too refined for us to see it or feel it. He assures us that when we are sufficiently refined, we will see that spirit is actually substance or matter. Now a historical note. On Joseph's return from Ramus on the 18th of May, 1843, the prophet took dinner with Judge Stephen A. Douglas at Carthage, Illinois, and gave him at his request a detailed account of the persecution the saints had suffered in Missouri. He concluded his narrative with a prophecy which B.H. Roberts considers, quote, one of the most remarkable prophecies either in ancient or modern times, unquote and that's in The History of the Church, Volume 5, page 395. The prophet concluded by saying, Quote, Judge, you will aspire to the presidency of the United States, and if ever you turn your hand against me or the Latter-day Saints, you will feel the weight of the hand of the Almighty upon you, and you will live to see and know that I have testified the truth to you for the conversation of this day will stick to you through life." Unquote. Judge Douglas did aspire to the Presidency of the United States, and on the 23rd of June, 1860, he was nominated by the Democratic Party to be President of the United States. Judging from appearances, his election was assured, for his party in the preceding election pulled over half a million votes more than the opposing parties. But amazingly, Judge Douglas failed miserably. On the 12th of June, 1857, long after the Latter-day Saints had been driven to the Rocky Mountains, Judge Douglas turned his hand against the Latter-day Saints. In spite of the warning of the Prophet Joseph, he delivered a speech at Springfield, Illinois, in which he accused the Latter-day Saints of practically all the crimes in the penal code, knowing that he did so falsely, but he was doing it to gain favor among the enemies of the Church. What followed was exactly what the prophet had predicted would happen. He was defeated. Abraham Lincoln carried 18 states. Breckinridge carried 11 states. Bell, three states, and Judge Douglas, only one state. Less than a year after his defeat, Judge Douglas died. He was disappointed, heartbroken, and only 48 years of age. This complete story is set forth in the history of the church, volume 5, pages 393 to 398. Section 132, Introduction Now we come to the section on the patriarchal order of marriage or the principle of plural marriage. Joseph Smith learned about this aspect of the priesthood very gradually. He first came across this doctrine very early in his prophetic career while he was translating the Book of Mormon. During the ministry of Lehi's son Jacob, the people began to secretly acquire many wives and concubines. They justified their immoral acts on the grounds that it was approved of God in Old Testament times. Jacob quoted the Lord as saying, quote, Wherefore I, the Lord God, will not suffer that this people shall be like unto them of old. For there shall not any man among you have save it be one wife, and concubines he shall have none, unquote. Joseph Smith was raised in puritanical New England, and to his mind the Book of Mormon marriage formula sounded very reassuring. However, Jacob went on to quote the Lord as saying, quote, For if I will, saith the Lord of hosts, raise up seed unto me, I will command my people, otherwise they shall hearken unto these things, unquote. Now, that's in Jacob chapter 2, verse 30. To Joseph Smith, this meant that unless God specifically commanded it, it would be a sin to have more than one wife. But what about the Old Testament, where the patriarchs had more than one family? Well, it was never very extensive. Abraham had one plural wife, Isaac had one plural wife, and Jacob had only four wives. But what about David and Solomon? David had a number of wives sealed to him by the prophet Nathan and other prophets who held the sealing keys. The Lord said all of these were acceptable to the Lord until he committed adultery with the wife of Uriah. Then he fell from exaltation, and the Lord says that when David died and passed into the next world, he found that all of these wives had been taken away from him and given to another— and that's in Doctrine and Covenants section 132, verse 39. As for Solomon, he was a very righteous man up to the age of 49. He had seen the Lord twice. He probably had many wives sealed to him, but the Bible gives him credit for having only one son named Rehoboam. However, quote, when he was old, unquote, and that's in 1 Kings 11 and 4, quote, He behaved as though chronic senility assaulted his whole personality. He turned away from God and worshipped in pagan temples. He fortified his political alliances with hundreds of princesses from the tributary nations which paid tribute to Israel. In his senile insanity, he surrounded himself with over a thousand wives and concubines and yet the scriptures mention no children being born to him. Now, since David had sinned and lost all of his wives originally sealed to him under the priesthood, it would be assumed that the same would happen to Solomon after his apostasy and collapse. However, he had enjoyed such a glorious history of righteous administration up until he was forty-nine, It may have been in the providence of God to let him escape the wrath of God's justice because of his mental disorder which swept over him when he was old. So Joseph Smith no doubt felt that there was no excuse for plural marriage as far as the example of David and Solomon were concerned. In fact, the Book of Mormon said that their examples were, quote, "...abominable before me, saith the Lord," unquote, and that's in Jacob 2 and 24. However, in 1832, when Joseph was revising the Bible, he was still troubled that the ancient patriarchs practiced plural marriage with the Lord's consent. He therefore decided to ask the Lord for a comprehensive revelation on the whole subject. What he received was such a tremendous shock that he didn't even dare to have it recorded. The most frightening part was the declaration of the Lord that Joseph himself would be called upon to introduce this same doctrine to the church so it could be practiced during the last dispensation. Joseph carried the weight of this unrecorded revelation on his heart throughout the rest of his ministry. He deeply loved Emma but he felt the idea of sharing her husband to satisfy this phase of the gospel would be emphatically rejected by her. Joseph therefore postponed, as long as he dared, the revelation which he was afraid would ignite a marital explosion in their home. Finally, on July 12, 1843, just eleven months before the martyrdom, Joseph recorded the revelation at the request of his brother Hiram. Hiram felt that if Joseph recorded the revelation, he could present it to Emma and try to get her to let Joseph go forward and do what the prophet knew he had to do. This is found in the Doctrine and Covenants Commentary by Jodal, in the note on page 1010 and 1011. So here is the revelation Joseph dictated on July the 12th, 1843. Hiram suggested he use the Urim and Thummim for accuracy, but the prophet said he had gone over this revelation so many times he had it practically memorized and didn't need the Urim and Thummim. Through the years, this revelation had haunted Joseph Smith. So here is the text
1: of section 132. VERILY, THUS SAITH THE LORD UNTO YOU, MY SERVANT JOSEPH, THAT INASMUCH AS YOU HAVE INQUIRED OF MY HAND TO KNOW AND UNDERSTAND, WHEREIN I, THE LORD, JUSTIFIED MY SERVANTS ABRAHAM, ISAAC, AND JACOB, AS ALSO MOSES, DAVID, AND SOLOMON MY SERVANTS, AS TOUCHING THE principle AND DOCTRINE OF THEIR HAVING MANY WIVES AND CONCUBINES. BEHOLD, AND LO, I AM THE LORD THY GOD, AND WILL ANSWER THEE AS TOUCHING THIS MATTER. This
0: clearly states what was on Joseph's mind when he asked for this revelation.
1: Therefore, prepare thy heart to receive and obey the instructions which I am about to give unto you. For all those who have this law revealed unto them must obey the same. When Joseph received this verse back in 1831, it must have nearly taken his breath away. For behold, I reveal unto you a new and an everlasting covenant, and if ye abide not that covenant, then are ye damned. For no one can reject this covenant and be permitted to enter into my glory. As this revelation unfolds, we discover that the Lord is
0: talking about the new and everlasting covenant of marriage for time and all eternity but it does not necessarily include plural
1: marriage. For all who will have a blessing at my hands shall abide the law which was appointed for that blessing and the conditions thereof, as were instituted from before the foundation of the world. This part of the gospel was instituted before the foundation
0: of the world. Here the Lord repeats that one who has been informed concerning this aspect of the gospel must abide this law or
1: be damned. And as pertaining to the new and everlasting covenant, it was instituted for the fullness of my glory. And he that receiveth a the fullness thereof must and shall abide the law or he shall be damned, saith the Lord God. And verily I say unto you that the conditions of this law are these. All covenants, contracts, bonds, obligations, oaths, vows, performances, connections, associations, or expectations that are not made and entered into and sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise of Him who is anointed, both as well for time and for all eternity, and that too most holy, by revelation and commandment through the medium of mine anointed, whom I have appointed on the earth to hold this power, and I have appointed unto my servant Joseph to hold this power in the last days, and there is never but one on the earth at a time on whom this power and the keys of this priesthood are conferred, are of no efficacy, virtue, or force, in and after the resurrection from the dead, for all contracts that are not made unto this end have an end when men are dead. The power to
0: seal an earth and have it effective through time and all eternity is a part of the priesthood which is only endowed upon one person at a time, and that is the
1: president of the church. Behold, mine house is a house of order, saith the Lord God, and not a house of confusion. Will I accept of an offering, saith the Lord, that is not made in my name? Or will I receive at your hands that which I have not appointed?
0: That one man who has received this power from God can delegate it, but no man can usurp it. The Lord will never accept an ordinance, covenant, or offering unless it is actually in
1: his name. And will I appoint unto you, saith the Lord, except it be by law, even as I and my Father ordained unto you before the world was. It must
0: be by God's law, which was ordained and established before the world was.
1: I am the Lord thy God, and I give unto you this commandment, that no man shall come unto the Father but by me or by my word, which is my law saith the Lord. In the
0: vast eternities there is no way to come unto God the Father except by the word of Christ, which is his law.
1: And everything that is in the world, whether it be ordained of men by thrones or principalities, or powers or things of name, whatsoever they may be, that are not by me or by my word, saith the Lord, shall be thrown down and shall not remain after men are dead, neither in nor after the resurrection, saith the Lord your God. For whatsoever things remain are by me, and whatsoever things are not by me shall be shaken and destroyed.
0: The most vivid reality in the universe is that anything that has not been approved by Christ will disintegrate and pass into oblivion.
1: Nothing can survive unless he has ordered it. Therefore, if a man marry him a wife in the world, and he marry her not by me nor by my word, and he covenant with her so long as he is in the world and she with him, their covenant and marriage are not a force when they are dead and when they are out of the world. Therefore, they are not bound by any law when they are out of the world. All of these principles
0: apply to the covenant of marriage. Unless it is sealed and accepted by the Savior,
1: it has no effect beyond this world. Therefore, when they are out of the world, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are appointed angels in heaven, which angels are ministering servants to minister for those who are worthy of a far more and an exceeding and an eternal weight of glory. Those who
0: arrive in the spirit world without the benefit of eternal covenants ratified by the Savior will be appointed angels who will serve those who have made
1: themselves worthy of a higher order. For these angels did not abide my law, therefore they cannot be enlarged but remain separately and singly without exaltation in their saved condition to all eternity, and from henceforth are not gods, but are angels of God forever and ever.
0: Angels are those who did not obey the higher order, and they are incapable of being exalted or enlarged. They will never be gods. They will never have an increase. They will be locked into the status
1: of angels forever. And again, verily I say unto you, if a man marry a wife, and make a covenant with her for time and for all eternity, if that covenant is not by me or by my word which is my law, and is not sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, through him whom I have anointed and appointed unto this power, then it is not valid neither of force when they are out of the world, because they are not joined by me, saith the Lord, neither by my word. When they are out of the world, it cannot be received there, because the angels and the gods are appointed there, by whom they cannot pass. They cannot therefore inherit my glory, for my house is a house of order, saith the Lord God. Of course, there are those who sincerely think
0: they are under the covenant for time and eternity when they are not. Unless their covenant is authoritatively sealed and authenticated by the Holy Spirit of promise, it will not be valid in the eternities. They will be halted at the gates where those of the higher eternal nature are allowed to pass.
1: And again, verily I say unto you, If a man marry a wife by my word, which is my law, and by the new and everlasting covenant, and it is sealed unto them by the Holy Spirit of promise, by him who is anointed unto whom I have appointed this power and the keys of this priesthood, and it shall be said unto them, Ye shall come forth in the first resurrection, and if it be after the first resurrection, in the next resurrection, and shall inherit thrones, kingdoms, principalities, and powers, dominions, all heights and depths. Then shall it be written in the Lamb's book of life that he shall commit no murder whereby to shed innocent blood. And if ye abide in my covenant, and commit no murder whereby to shed innocent blood, it shall be done unto them in all things whatsoever my servant hath put upon them, in time and through all eternity, and shall be of full force when they are out of the world, and they shall pass by the angels and the gods which are set there, to their exaltation and glory in all things, as hath been sealed upon their heads. Which glory shall be of fullness, and a continuation of the seeds forever and ever. On the other hand, those who have qualified for godhood
0: by worthily embracing the higher law will come forth in the first resurrection or in one soon afterwards and are heirs to God's greatest blessings. However, the plan does not include those who have shed innocent blood or denied the Holy Ghost, which is like being an ancillary to the shedding of the innocent blood of Christ himself. If they have not commended these unpardonable sins, but have lived according to their eternal covenants, they will receive celestial bodies that are capable of producing offspring forever.
1: Then shall they be gods, because they have no end. Therefore shall they be from everlasting to everlasting, because they continue. Then shall they be above all, because all things are subject unto them. Then shall they be gods, because they have all power, and the angels are subject unto them.
0: Thus they become gods, and all things are subject to them. They have power over the intelligences which belong to this round of creation. Even the angels are subject to
1: them. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye abide my law, ye cannot attain to this glory. For straight is the gate, and narrow the way that leadeth unto the exaltation and continuation of the lives. And few there be that find it, because ye receive me not in the world, neither do ye know me, Of course, each person must abide by the
0: celestial law that prevails in eternity and allows a person to pass through the straight gate that leads to eternal extension of lives. Unfortunately, few there be that gain these glorious blessings because so many reject the gospel and the salvation of Jesus Christ through the atonement.
1: But if ye receive me in the world, then shall ye know me and shall receive your exaltation, that where I am, ye shall be also. The supreme
0: blessing which comes with the gospel is receiving exaltation
1: and being with Jesus Christ. This is eternal lives. To know the only wise and true God, and Jesus Christ whom he hath sent, I am he. Receive ye, therefore, my law. We
0: often speak of eternal life, but the supreme reward is eternal lives. This means to know God and become like him.
1: Broad is the gate, and wide the way that leadeth to the deaths, and many there are that go in thereat, because they receive me not, neither do they abide in my law. For the
0: masses who reject the plan of salvation, there is a wide gate that leads to deaths or further separation from the Father. All who pass through this gate must pay for their own sins to the uttermost farthing.
1: Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man marry a wife according to my word, and they are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise according to mine appointment... And he or she shall commit any sin or transgression of the new and everlasting covenant whatever, and all manner of blasphemies. And if they commit no murder wherein they shed innocent blood, yet they shall come forth in the first resurrection and enter into their exaltation. But they shall be destroyed in the flesh and shall be delivered unto the buffetings of Satan unto the day of redemption sayeth the Lord God. But if a person enters into the holy covenant of marriage
0: and then commits all kinds of sins, he will still be forgiven, even though he must suffer the buffetings of Satan and be punished for those sins until the day of redemption.
1: The blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, which shall not be forgiven in the world nor out of the world, is in that ye commit murder, wherein ye shed innocent blood, and assent unto my death, after ye have received my new and everlasting covenant, saith the Lord God. And he that abideth not this law, can in no wise enter into my glory, but shall be damned, saith the Lord. Here is the definition of sinning against the Holy Ghost, which
0: cannot be forgiven. It is blaspheming or denying the Holy Ghost, which is like assenting to the Savior's crucifixion.
1: I am the Lord thy God, and will give unto thee the law of my holy priesthood, as was ordained by me and my Father before the world was. The Lord promises to give to Joseph Smith
0: the same power of the holy priesthood that was ordained by the Savior and the Father before the world was created.
1: Abraham received all things, whatsoever he received, by revelation and commandment. By my word, saith the Lord, and hath entered into his exaltation and sitteth upon his throne. Amazingly, Abraham has received all the things
0: the Lord promised and has already entered into his exaltation as a god and sitteth upon his throne.
1: Abraham received promises concerning his seed and of the fruit of his loins, from whose loins ye are, namely my servant Joseph, which were to continue so long as they were in the world and as touching Abraham and his seed, out of the world they should continue. Both in the world and out of the world should they continue, as innumerable as the stars. Or if ye were to count the sand upon the seashore, ye could not number them. This promise is yours also, because ye are of Abraham. And the promise was made unto Abraham. And by this law is the continuation of the works of my father, WHEREIN HE GLORIFIETH HIMSELF. GO YE THEREFORE, AND DO THE WORKS OF ABRAHAM. ENTER YE INTO MY LAW, AND YE SHALL BE SAVED. BUT IF YE ENTER NOT INTO MY LAW, YE CANNOT RECEIVE THE PROMISE OF MY FATHER, WHICH HE MADE UNTO ABRAHAM.
0: Abraham was promised that his seed would be as innumerable as the stars. This promise is also made to Joseph Smith. Therefore, Joseph and his wife should enter this new and everlasting covenant. If they do not, they cannot receive the blessings promised to Abraham.
1: God commanded Abraham, and Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham to wife. And why did she do it? Because this was the law. And from Hagar sprang many people. This, therefore, was fulfilling, among other things, the promises.
0: Now the Lord lays the foundation for the understanding of the eternal plurality of marriages. He says that when God commanded Sarah to give her servant Hagar to Abraham as his wife, she obeyed because she knew it was the law.
1: Was Abraham therefore under condemnation? Verily I say unto you, Nay, for I, the Lord, commanded it. Did Abraham commit a sin
0: by entering into a plural marriage? The Lord said he did not, because
1: God commanded it. Abraham was commanded to offer his son Isaac. Nevertheless, it was written, Thou shalt not kill. Abraham, however, did not refuse and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. In the
0: same way, Abraham was commanded to sacrifice his son Isaac. As it turned out, he didn't actually have to do it. But the fact that he was willing to obey the command was counted unto him
1: for righteousness. Abraham received concubines, and they bore him children. And it was accounted unto him for righteousness because they were given unto him, and he abode in my law, as Isaac also and Jacob did none other things than that which they were commanded. And because they did none other things than that which they were commanded, they have entered into their exaltation according to the promises, and sit upon thrones, and are not angels, but are gods." It is interesting that the Nephites were not allowed to have
0: concubines, but there was no such restriction on Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were commanded to raise up seed by this means, and because they were obedient in all things, they have already received their exaltation and have already attained the status of gods.
1: David also received many wives and concubines, and also Solomon and Moses my servants, as also many others of my servants from the beginning of creation until this time. And in nothing did they sin, save in those things which they received not of me. The Lord says he has been commanding
0: his servants to raise up seed to God since the days of Adam. And any wives or concubines that they receive in righteousness through the authority of God's prophets was no sin. But if they did this on their own, it was a sin.
1: David's wives and concubines were given unto him of me by the hand of Nathan, my servant, and others of the prophets who had the keys of this power. And in none of these things did he sin against me, Save in the case of Uriah and his wife. And therefore he hath fallen from his exaltation, and received his portion. And he shall not inherit them out of the world, for I gave them unto another, saith the Lord.
0: David had wives and concubines through the authority of the prophet Nathan, and other servants of the Lord, who held the keys to seal these women to David. Then the Lord said that none of these unions were a sin until David committed adultery with the wife of Uriah. As a result, David lost his exaltation, and when he died and went into the spirit world, he found that all of those to whom he had been sealed had been taken away by the Lord and given to a more worthy servant.
1: I am the Lord thy God. And I gave unto thee, my servant Joseph, an appointment, and restore all things. Ask what ye will, and it shall be given unto you according to my word. In this verse, the Lord is addressing
0: the prophet Joseph. The Lord says he has given Joseph an appointment to restore all things, of course, that will involve the new and everlasting covenant of marriage as practiced by the ancient patriarchs. Now, a little historical note. The Lord refers to men and women who enter the new and everlasting covenant of marriage with a plurality of wives as being on a mission and making a great, quote, sacrifice, unquote. And that is in the Doctrine and Covenants 132, verse 51. Here is how Brigham Young describes it. Quote, Some of these, my brethren, know what my feelings were at the time Joseph revealed this doctrine. I was not desirous of shrinking from any duty, nor of failing in the least to do as I was commanded. But it was the first time in my life that I have desired the grave, and I could hardly get over it for a long time. And when I saw a funeral, I felt to envy the corpse its situation and to regret that I was not in the coffin, knowing the toil and the labor that my body would have to undergo. And I have to examine myself from that day to this and watch my faith and carefully meditate lest I should be found desiring the grave more than I ought to do. This is in Journal of Discourses, Volume 3, pages 266. Here is the agony of Heber C. Kimball and his wife, Felite as described by their daughter. She says her father, after having received this command, would walk the floor till nearly morning. And sometimes the agony of his mind was so terrible that he would wring his hands and weep like a child and beseech the Lord to be merciful and reveal the principle to his wife. This prayer was heard. Mrs. Kimball had a vision, and with a countenance beaming with joy, for she was filled with the Spirit of God, she returned to my father, saying, quote, Heber, what you kept from me, the Lord has shown me. Unquote. And now, continuing the daughter's commentary, quote, she covenanted to stand by him and honor the principle, which covenant she faithfully kept. And though her trials were often heavy and grievous to bear, she knew that father was also being tried, and her integrity was unflinching to the end. She gave my father many wives, and they always found in my mother a faithful friend. And this is in the book entitled Heber C. Kimball by Orson F. Whitney, pages 327 to
1: 328. And as ye have asked concerning adultery, verily, verily, I say unto you, If a man receiveth a wife in the new and everlasting covenant, and if she be with another man, and I have not appointed unto her by the holy anointing, she hath committed adultery, and shall be destroyed. If she be not in the new and everlasting covenant, and she be with another man, she has committed adultery." And if her husband be with another woman, and he was under a vow, he hath broken his vow, and hath committed adultery. Here the Lord
0: defines adultery by a woman who has entered into the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. She will no longer have a place in the new order, but her place will be destroyed. This will be true of any man who is under the new and everlasting
1: covenant but commits adultery. And if she hath not committed adultery, but is innocent, and hath not broken her vow, and she knoweth it, and I reveal it unto you, my servant Joseph, then shall you have power by the power of my holy priesthood, to take her and give her unto him that hath not committed adultery, but hath been faithful, for he shall be made ruler over many. Innocent
0: partners of those who have committed adultery can be released by the powers of the priesthood and married to another who is righteous and worthy. For
1: I have conferred upon you the keys and power of the priesthood, wherein I restore all things and make known unto you all things in due time. Here the Lord emphasizes the
0: extent of the power of
1: the keys that have been given to the prophet Joseph. And verily, verily, I say unto you, that whatsoever you seal on earth shall be sealed in heaven. And whatsoever you bind on earth, in my name and by my word, saith the Lord, it shall be eternally bound in the heavens. And whosoever sins you remit on earth shall be remitted eternally in the heavens. And whosoever sins you retain on earth shall be retained in heaven. And again verily I say, Whomsoever you bless, I will bless; and whomsoever you curse, I will curse, saith the Lord: For I, the Lord, am thy God." And again verily I say unto you, my servant Joseph, That whatsoever you give on earth, and to whomsoever you give any one on earth, by my word and according to my law, It shall be visited with blessings and not cursings, and with my power, saith the Lord, and shall be without condemnation on earth and in heaven.
0: Joseph has been given power to seal on earth, and they will be sealed in heaven, or loose on earth, and they will be loosed in heaven. He also has the authority to remit sins or to retain sins against the wicked. This authority also applies to blessings and curses.
1: When he proclaims them, they will be recognized in heaven. For I am the Lord thy God, and will be with thee even unto the end of the world, and through all eternity. For verily I seal upon you your exaltation, and prepare a throne for you in the kingdom of my Father, with Abraham, your father. Here is a marvelous
0: passage. Joseph received the more sure word of prophecy, or the second covenant, wherein the Lord promised him salvation, even while he is still
1: in this life. Behold, I have seen your sacrifices, and will forgive all your sins. I have seen your sacrifices in obedience to that which I have told you, Go, therefore, and I make a way for your escape, as I accepted the offering of Abraham, of his son Isaac.
0: The Lord has even forgiven Joseph all of his sins, and the way will be opened up so that Joseph can escape from his enemies. The Lord doesn't add the fact that the escape from the suffering and persecution of earth life will end in less than eleven months as he triumphantly escapes into eternity. Obviously, this verse was not appropriate in 1831, but it was a premonition of the immediate future in
1: 1843. Verily I say unto you, a commandment I give unto mine handmaid, Emma Smith, your wife, whom I have given unto you, that she stay herself and partake not of that which I commanded you to offer unto her. For I did it, saith the Lord, to prove you all, as I did Abraham, and that I might require an offering at your hand by covenant and sacrifice. Apparently the Lord had asked Emma to do
0: something horrendous as a test of both she and Joseph. Here the Lord cancels
1: the test. And let mine handmaid, Emma Smith, receive all those that have been given unto my servant Joseph, and who are virtuous and pure before me. And those who are not pure, and have said they were pure, shall be destroyed, saith the Lord God. Instead, the Lord commands
0: Emma to receive all those who have been given to Joseph who are virtuous and pure. If any were not pure and lied about it, they will be destroyed.
1: For I am the Lord thy God, and ye shall obey my voice. And I give unto my servant Joseph, that he shall be made ruler over many things. For he hath been faithful over a few things, and from henceforth I will strengthen him.
0: Here Joseph is commanded for his faithfulness and promised he will be the ruler of many
1: things. And I command mine handmaid Emma Smith to abide and cleave unto my servant Joseph and to none else. But if she will not abide this commandment, she shall be destroyed, saith the Lord. For I am the Lord thy God, and will destroy her if she abide not in my law. Emma is
0: commanded to cleave unto her husband and to none others after the martyrdom of Joseph Smith. Emma became confused and lonely, and three years after the martyrdom she married a non-member named Louis C. Bitterman. She then drifted away from the church and died in
1: Nauvoo, April 30, 1879. But if she will not abide this commandment, then shall my servant Joseph do all things for her, even as he hath said. And I will bless him And multiply him, and give unto him an hundredfold in this world of fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, houses and lands, wives and children, and crowns of eternal lives in the eternal worlds.
0: This is an interesting verse where the Lord says that if Emma would not abide by the commandment of this revelation, Joseph is to provide for her, but go forward without her to fulfill the commandments he has been given.
1: And again, verily I say, Let mine handmaid forgive my servant Joseph his trespasses, and then shall she be forgiven her trespasses, wherein she has trespassed against me. And I, the Lord thy God, will bless her and multiply her and make her heart to rejoice. Emma is commanded to forgive Joseph
0: his trespasses, so that Emma can be forgiven her trespasses against
1: the Lord. If she does this, she will be blessed. And again I say, Let not my servant Joseph put his property out of his hands, lest an enemy come and destroy him, for Satan seeketh to destroy. For I am the Lord thy God, and he is my servant. And behold, and lo, I am with him, as I was with Abraham, thy father, even unto his exaltation and glory. Joseph is commanded to keep his property
0: and not let it slip out of his control, otherwise his enemies will take advantage of him.
1: Now, as touching the law of the priesthood, there are many things pertaining thereunto. Verily, If a man be called of my father, as was Aaron, by mine own voice, and by the voice of him that sent me, and I have endowed him with the keys of the power of this priesthood, if he do anything in my name and according to my law and by my word, he will not commit sin, and I will justify him. Let no one, therefore, set on my servant Joseph, for I will justify him for he shall do the sacrifice which I require at his hands for his transgressions, saith the Lord your God. We are at a loss to discover precisely what transgressions
0: Joseph has committed for which he will gain forgiveness through his sacrifice.
1: And again, as pertaining to the law of the priesthood, if any man espouse a virgin and desire to espouse another, and the first give her consent, and if he espoused the second, and they are virgins, and have vowed to no other man, then is he justified. He cannot commit adultery, for they are given unto him. For he cannot commit adultery with that that belongeth unto him and to no one else." In this
0: verse, the Lord sets forth a key principle connected with plural marriage. It is the principle that if a man is desirous to marry a second virgin, he must gain the permission of the first wife. This having been done, he can marry the second virgin, and it will not be adultery.
1: And if he have ten virgins given unto him by this law, he cannot commit adultery, for they belong to him and they are given unto him. Therefore is he justified. This will not
0: only be true of the second virgin, but the same principle applies with any number of virgins, even ten. They are given to him by the priesthood, and their union together will not
1: violate the law of chastity. But if one or either of the ten virgins, after she is espoused, shall be with another man, she has committed adultery and shall be destroyed. For they are given unto him to multiply and replenish the earth, according to my commandment, and to fulfill the promise which was given by my Father before the foundation of the world, and for their exaltation in the eternal worlds, that they may bear the souls of men. For herein is the work of my Father continued, That he may be glorified. If any
0: of these women fail to maintain her chastity, she will be considered guilty of adultery and will lose her place in the family circle. The Lord says this penalty is because she was honored and allowed to enter into her sacred association to multiply and replenish the earth. In fact, Jesus says, Herein is the work of my Father continued, that he may be glorified. This demonstrates how important it is to the Father to have his worthy servants who are commanded to do so to raise up seed unto him through choice family lines in accordance with the new covenant of marriage.
1: And again, verily, verily, I say unto you, if any man have a wife who holds the keys of this power and he teaches unto her the law of my priesthood as pertaining to these things, Then shall she believe and administer unto him, or she shall be destroyed, saith the Lord your God. For I will destroy her, for I will magnify my name upon all those who receive and abide in my law. Therefore, it shall be lawful in me if she receive not this law. For him to receive all things whatsoever I, the Lord his God, will give unto him, because she did not believe and administer unto him according to my word. And she then becomes the transgressor, and he is exempt from the law of Sarah, who administered unto Abraham according to the law, when I commanded Abraham to take Hagar to wife.
0: In this verse, the Lord releases Joseph Smith from having to gain the consent of his wife if she refuses to fulfill the law of Sarah. This means she can go forward with additional marriages without her
1: consent. And now, as pertaining to this law, verily, verily, I say unto you, I will reveal more unto you hereafter. Therefore, let this suffice for the present. Behold, I am Alpha and Omega. Amen. The Lord has in mind other details which
0: pertain to the correct administration of this law, but promises to reveal these things at a later time. And now a brief historical note. Emma's reception of this revelation was exactly what Joseph had anticipated— Hiram carefully read it to her, and when he had finished, she took it out of his hand and put it in the fire. Fortunately, there was a second copy. Emma did consent to obey the law of Sarah, but only for a very brief period of time. Nevertheless, Joseph had the Lord's authority to proceed without her if necessary. We know that he was sealed to a rather substantial number of wives— but there is nothing to indicate that any of these marriages produced any children. Nevertheless, Joseph's example opened the door to the patriarchal order for the leaders of the church, and most certainly they and their families produced a vast multitude of seed, quote, unto the Lord, unquote. It is true that barely five percent of the men of the church were called to live the principle of plural marriage, but that was sufficient to bring the avalanche of renewed persecution down upon the whole people. As soon as this practice was officially announced by the Church in 1852, the Congress began passing increasingly stringent laws that were intensified until the few who were practicing polygamy were either in hiding or in prison. Eventually, President Wilfrid Woodruff asked the Lord for guidance. He didn't want the Lord to think they were abandoning their mission, but he needed direction as to the pathway they should follow. Right at that time, the Supreme Court upheld the prohibition against plural marriage, and the Lord then released the Church from further efforts to extend the number of plural marriages in the future. The sacrifice, persecution, and suffering of the members had been sufficient. Just as Abraham was required to go to the absolute limit before the Lord prevented the slaying of his son, so the Latter-day Saints had been asked to endure the suffering and persecution right up to the point where the government was threatening the very existence of the church. Only then were they released from the Lord's requirement. By that time, four things had been accomplished. First, the patriarchal order of marriage as practiced by the Old Testament prophets had been vindicated as a true biblical doctrine. Second, the restored church had demonstrated that it could practice this extremely difficult doctrine if the Lord required it. Third, the Lord had said that the principle was to produce, quote, seed unto me, unquote, In two generations, the few members of the Church who were called to practice this principle had produced a top quality of priesthood leadership that would no doubt prevail over the Church until the Second Coming. Fourth, when the loyal members of the Church accepted the decision of the Prophet and followed his inspired guidance under the Manifesto, they were rewarded by a century of the greatest success in the history of the church on the other hand those who rebelled and had to be excommunicated soon fell away as the book of mormon decreed when men and women practice plural marriage without the consent of the prophet who holds the keys it is abominable before the lord and that's in jacob chapter 2 verse 24 Now a final note concerning Heber J. Grant, who had a manifestation which was related to this section of the Doctrine and Covenants. It seems that Heber J. Grant felt that he was being pushed up through the ranks of the Church much faster than he deserved and before he was adequately prepared. However, on one occasion he had a heavenly communication in which he saw the early leaders of the Church assembled in the spirit world those in attendance included Joseph Smith, Heber's father, Jedediah M. Grant, and Brigham Young, along with many of the earlier leaders of the church. In this meeting, they were discussing who should be the next apostle to fill a pending vacancy in the Quorum of the Twelve. Heber J. Grant saw it proposed that since Joseph Smith had none of his posterity in the leadership of the church, And since Heber's mother had been sealed to the prophet Joseph, it would be appropriate to have Heber appointed an apostle to represent the prophet as a foster son. According to the manifestation, that is how Heber J. Grant was appointed an apostle at the age of 25. It troubled Heber that he was appointed to this high office when he was so young. This manifestation taught him that he was not appointed because of his own distinguished talents, but to represent the prophet Joseph Smith among the general authorities of the church. He later wrote, quote, I sat there and wept for joy. Unquote. This is an article by Abraham J. Grant in the Improvement Era, December 1918, pages 97 and 99. This is the end of section 132. We hope you're enjoying this podcast by W. Cleon Skousen. To find additional books and recordings on this and other topics, please visit skousenlibrary.com.